kids club. Um, I think it's four. I think it's four to fifth grade. Um, you can sign up for Awana. And if you're an adult that would like to help out, you can also go and sign up uh, on the Awana registration um, as a volunteer um, to get involved and help. And I know that they uh, can still use some volunteers, so please consider doing that if you, you love kiddos and have some time available. Um, also, on August 29th, which is in two weeks, here at the church during our ABF hour, we are going to have uh, a woman named Julie Posey with us who uh, does work to help people understand the dangers of online predators, um, how to deal with them. Um, and so if you've got kids or you've got grandkids, um, this would be very valuable for you. And so she'll be with us during the ABF hour. So at 9.30, right across the hall on the 29th. And then the last thing is the men's, the men's ministry is teaming up with the men's ministry from another church. Um, Wynwood Presbyterian, uh, who Steve Hartzell has ties to, um, for men's retreat. And that is in a month. Men's retreat is going to happen on September 17th, 18th, 17th, 18th, 19th. Um, and you can sign up uh, to go to the men's retreat uh, on Church Center. Um, so those are the three things I had to mention. Um, you guys stand up with me and uh, we'll begin our time of worship together. I'm going to read a, a verse that is actually the verse that inspired the song that we're going to start with. And this verse you probably know is Philippians 4, 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The man that read that verse and walked away from it inspired said, What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs>
Thank you for being one that we can trust, for being a friend, for being one who makes paths when we think things are hopeless. We thank you for being one in command that we can trust. Father, we love you. Make us like Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you were one of our kids, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you are one of our guests, you can take your kiddo over there and get them checked in and then come back and join us. Assurance of security enables us to have greater confidence when we attempt to function in the way that we are called to function. The story of the building and constructing of the Golden Gate Bridge uh, proves this truth out very well. The Golden Gate, Golden Gate Bridge was started in 1933 and completed in 1937. It was uh, the design uh, genius of Joseph Strauss, an engineer that came up with the original design. It was worked over a few years, and then they uh, came out with the one that uh, we get to see. Joseph Strauss not only came up with the design for the bridge, but he came up with and implemented uh, a large number of safety measures that had never been used or had rarely been used in construction up until that point. The rule of thumb in that era for building great structures was that you would lose one life, one person would die for every million dollars spent. Well, this was a $35 million project. And they had projected that at least 35 would die and they wondered if that was low because of the height above the bay, the high gusts of wind, and just the fright that comes and locks you up when you are working in such conditions. So Strauss implemented some safety measures that would increase the confidence by giving an assurance of security for what they called the bridgemen. The most conspicuous safety element that they implemented was a safety net that ran the length of the bridge under the platform. It was the first time that a safety net had ever been used in such a manner. And over the course of the four years of building, they lost only 11 lives. One was lost after three years, and then 10 were tragically lost in a horrible accident just a couple of months before the bridge was finished. That was considered an incredible safety record for that time. It was intentional. And what happened was that the net and other elements that they instituted provided an assurance of security. And that gave a greater confidence for these bridgemen to function in the jobs they had been given. Well, today we get to look at the next piece of armor in the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And as we look at this piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. And this helmet is given to us to increase our confidence by giving us an assurance of security in our salvation. When we lack assurance in our salvation, then doubt and despair, discouragement come in, and it is hard for us to function amidst the spiritual warfare, the schemes of Satan and his angelic beings, and it is hard for us to honor God with our service to him. 
we have the helmet of salvation. And this is really exciting news. And I hope that as you reflect on your salvation, or perhaps you come to trust Christ today, that the excitement will pour forth for you in a way that is life-changing and certainly motivating, and most of all, gives you greater confidence to serve Jesus Christ as you follow him on this earth. He has given us the, the helmet of salvation. Now, a, a helmet is a confidence booster, right? You take a little six-year-old kid playing football and you put a helmet on them and, and they just become a, a kamikaze. Uh, until they get knocked down a few times themselves. But it, it gives them confidence. And so when we see that we've been given a helmet of salvation, we realize that it is to protect our mind, to, to protect the thoughts that we have. Now, we talked a lot about a lot of the intrusive thoughts that the shield of faith extinguishes last week. These are more thoughts of doubt and despair, thoughts of not taking up the assurance of security that we have in salvation. Paul gives us great confidence because we have assurance of salvation in Christ Jesus. And so he commands us to take up the helmet of salvation. The Roman military helmet was typically a metal helmet that often had either metal or leather pieces covering the cheeks. And uh, when it was properly seated on the head, pretty much all you could see were the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. It was there to protect. And if you remember, the battlefield in that day was a very bloody battlefield. Knives and spears and rocks and arrows were flying through the air. And a helmet would protect against most of those projectiles, would not protect against an axe, or a hammer, but it pr protected a lot of people from death by wearing this helmet. So that's what the Romans did in their military with it, and it gave them great confidence that they could go ahead and fight in the battle. Well, for us, the helmet of salvation is the assurance of salvation and the confidence that it brings to us. Again, as I said, as we stand firm against the attacks of Satan and positively as we serve Jesus Christ in the way, the capacity that he has called us to. Scripture makes it clear that we live in a war zone, that we live in the midst of this spiritual warfare. And so Satan, who is known to steal, kill, and destroy, that's the, the best summary that Jesus has given us in John 10. He wants to steal our joy and kill our hope and destroy our relationships. He can fill in the blanks with anything you want there. In contrast with Jesus Christ, who has come to give us life to the fullest, that we might know life abundant in him, because his life is eternal life, and we live it by faith in him. So we have this huge contrast between Jesus and Satan, Satan's desire is to cause doubt and discouragement and defeat and a divided mind. We can all identify with that in our daily lives. So how can we follow Jesus in the midst of so many attacks? Well, we take up the helmet of salvation. And our Lord is informing us that we have confidence against the attacks of Satan that we saw, especially in verses 10 to 13 because of the assurance of salvation that we have. We can live joyfully with confidence because we have assurance of salvation. And I hope, and it's my prayer, that that will increase your joy as you consider the salvation that we possess in Jesus Christ. The passage today is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, just the first half of 17, the first phrase. We get a new verb here, and it's this, take, up, take the helmet of salvation. So take stands in parallel to stand firm, therefore, that we saw back in verse 14, and all the rest of the pieces of armor we used with that. Well, now we get a new verb here, take, take up the helmet of salvation. Due to their weight, the helmet's were very clunky and heavy and typically the last thing put on. In fact, a lot of times they were just carried until they were to be put on for battle because 
Those guys didn't necessarily want to wear them. Some didn't just had the metal helmet. Some had sponge or cloth that they had put in there to protect their heads a little bit, to make it a little more comfortable. But we're in, in spiritual warfare full time. So we are to take it at all times. The assurance of salvation is to give us confidence on a daily basis. We must take up the helmet of salvation that we can live joyfully with confidence. Salvation in all its dimensions, all its aspects, allows us to live with great confidence. And so we're going to look at salvation in three tenses today, past, present, and future. You're familiar with the three dimensions of salvation. In the past tense, we have assurance that the penalty of sin has been paid. In the present, we have assurance that we are being saved from the power of sin. And we'll look at each one of these. And in the future, we have assurance that we will be saved from the presence of sin. So let's start with the past category of salvation. We have assurance that the penalty of sin is, is paid. God's word is emphatic that all who believe in Jesus Christ possess eternal life. Jesus is clear. John 3, among many other chapters in the Gospels, he keeps it simple and clear. The grace of the gospel is this, that we believe that Jesus Christ, as God the Son, a sinless substitute, died on the cross for your sin in your place, for my sin in my place, for the sins of the world in the place of the world, died and rose again. He paid the penalty of death for the sin of the world. And when we trust him, then he transfers the value of that death and resurrection to us. And he imputes his righteousness to us. And we are declared righteous. That's called, what theologians call justifications. Our sins are forgiven and we receive the free gift of eternal life. Well, our salvation is based on the grace of God. We are justified and declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross when we place our faith in him, when we trust him as our savior, when we acknowledge our sin and our need of a savior, we come to him and we cry out, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, please enter my life and lead me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for rising again, victorious over sin and death. I ask you to come into my life and lead me. That's the simple gospel. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul says this, that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't do the work for our salvation. We don't try to be good enough or kind enough or give enough money or measure up in whatever way we think or measure up against in comparison to people around us or try to please any of the world's religions, we simply appropriate and receive the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We agree that he has died on the cross for our sins. And the verb here, when it says you are saved, it's written in the perfect tense, and, and that's a grammatical way of talking about it, but it's an important way because the perfect tense means that it's a completed act with continuing results. So when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved, and the continuing result is that you continue to be saved. There is no change. You possess eternal life. This action takes place. This action of regeneration, of new birth, of being born again. It's a single act. Now, many people, many of you have told me, you cannot remember that point in your life when you committed your life to Christ. For you is a process. We know that regeneration is a single act. So at some point in there, you became born again and became a new creature in Jesus Christ. God does the work. He did, Jesus did the work on the cross. And even though you may not be able to remember exact date and time, that is fine. You just want to make sure you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. God's word makes it clear that 
everyone is born spiritually into a lost state. We are born dead in trespasses and sin, is what if Paul would say earlier in the book of Ephesians. That we are deserving of God's wrath. That the payment for being a sinner is to spend eternity apart from a loving God in a place called hell. That is what is left for everyone who is born and does not trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And such sobering truth can produce fear even in a believer's heart. And Satan likes to leverage that. He likes to make us think that or or doubt that we've actually trusted Christ as our Savior. He likes to make us doubt that perhaps we didn't say the right thing or perhaps we didn't choose the right method as you go around the world and see people using different ways to say this is how to trust Christ. Scripture is very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But Satan's going to work against that. He wants to cause doubt. He wants to cause a divided mind and so he'll attack your mind. We sin terribly and we wonder, (laughs) did I trust Christ? We deal with habitual sin and and we, we think to ourselves, did I really believe Jesus is my savior. Well, Satan is a, an accuser of the brethren. And when he causes us to doubt our salvation or that we possess it, then we experience a loss of power that comes from trusting Christ and from standing firm in his grace. When a person is trust Christ, then he or she stands firm in relationship to God. And our salvation is not held secure by us. We are eternally secure because of the work of God. And so I want to do a little sidebar here and look at the work of the triune God, who is eternal and, and assures us that our salvation is eternal. A regenerated person's faith is, relationship is with God through faith. And we have reasons that our faith is secure based on how we relate to each person of the Trinity. And there are scads of verses. I've just chosen one from each, maybe more, but mainly one from each uh, member of the Trinity. When we think of the Father, Romans 8.30, he says, those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And so we see this entire process, all three dimensions of salvation. And what we realize is that the purpose is God's glory. The Father is powerful enough to keep the believer. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking here and he says, I give eternal life to them, speaking about those who believe in him, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one means no one. You can't snatch yourself. The devil can't snatch you. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He is powerful enough to keep you and to keep your salvation eternally secure. The Son secured our salvation through his death. And if any sin could undo a believer's salvation and he could lose that salvation, then Christ's death on the cross would have been incomplete. And it wasn't. He died for every sin, past, present, and future. What we see in his life today, post-resurrection ministry, is that his prayers and his advocacy protect the believer as well. He prays for us. And perhaps the best illustration of that is in John chapter 17, where we see Jesus praying for the 12. But he goes on to say, and I, I, I pray not just for these, but for all those who will come to believe all those who will be in the chain of grace, which we include ourselves. And so what does he pray for? He says in verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He's praying for our protection. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Later on in that same prayer, he prays for our unity. And then he prays in verse 24 that we will experience heaven with him and his glory. 
Jesus is interceding before us and for us before the throne. We see that in Hebrews 7. Jesus is also our advocate, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Matt covered that beautifully when he looked at the breastplate of righteousness a few weeks ago. So when Satan accuses us of sin, and he is the accuser of the brethren, that's one of his titles, then Christ stands before the throne and says, I died for them. My blood was shed for them. They are forgiven of their sins. And he advocates for us. We have eternal security based on the power of the Father, based on the prayer and the advocacy of, of Jesus, not to mention his death. But we also see eternal security related to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who regenerates us, who makes us a new creature in Christ. He is the one who indwells us. And if salvation could be lost, the Spirit would have to be removed from our lives and our new birth would have to be given back. It can't. He places us into the body of Christ with all others who have trusted Jesus Christ, and he seals us until the day of redemption. Not sealing us until we commit some atrocious sin or until we work ourselves intellectually out of salvation. He has sealed us until the day of redemption. This is what Paul wrote earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. We are eternally secure in our salvation when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is not our work that keeps us eternally secure. And it is not our work that costs us eternal security. It is the triune God who keeps us secure in our salvation. And that's exciting. That is a high privilege. That is one of the spiritual blessings that we possess in Christ Jesus. And to be sure, believers sin. And believers are immature. We are warned against false professions of Christ. Those who never really gave their life to Christ, those who don't believe, they actually died and rose again for the sins of the world. But God never takes back his gift of salvation once it is received. Believers will not always persevere in godliness and our fruit may not always be discernible to those around us. But God is at work in us and through us. And we are completely secure when we believe in Jesus Christ. Our secure salvation is truth and fact, whether a person realizes it or not. Assurance of salvation comes when we realize that we are eternally secure. In Jesus Christ. When we appropriate it, when we believe that what God says about our security in Christ is true, and that we are eternally secure when we've given our when we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's when assurance comes about. And of course, Satan loves to cause a lack of assurance in our lives. He loves to cause doubt and despair and discouragement and build up circumstances that wonder, make us wonder if there is a God. Make us wonder if we've called on Christ and, and, and such doubt can always be dispelled by calling on Christ. Trusting in him, reminding him that you trust in him. Experiencing his peace and his joy and his love in the midst of doubt, when we put on the helmet of salvation, we are saying we possess eternal life and we cannot lose it. If you trusted Jesus Christ, then you possess eternal life. No one can take that away. You have peace with God and you are free to enjoy all the spiritual blessings that you possess in Christ Jesus, his divine power at work in you. Well, not only do we possess eternal life, but we are in the process of becoming like Jesus. The second aspect of salvation that we'll look at is 
sanctification. It's life in the present, if you will. So the present, we have assurance that we are being saved from the power of sin. Present tense refers to sanctification. The process of sanctification, we're, we're becoming more like Jesus. He transforms us from the inside out. We see that all throughout Paul's letters where he makes that very clear. As we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and as we submit to the leadership of Jesus, as we follow him in our lives, then he changes us from the inside out. And our character begins to look like his character. Our thoughts begin to think like Jesus thinks. And our words come out of our mouths like Jesus speaks. And we experience greater freedom from the power of sin. We were saved at our conversion. Our justification was a one-time act with continuing results. Well, this second process of sanctification is a lifelong transformation. The power of sin was broken at the cross. Satan was defeated. And as we walk with Jesus, we realize a greater freedom from the power of sin. And when we grasp the power of his death, of Christ, and we grasp his grace, we begin to live in a way that is opposed to the world's values and viewpoints and perspectives and systems, because they're all opposed to Christ. We are not perfect. We do not always live out of our freedom in Christ, and that is why some of us look like hypocrites, as those who profess Christ but don't represent him well. Our lives ebb and flow as we walk with Jesus. But the present tense means that we have the ability to walk with Jesus. We have the ability to live righteously, to live in right relationship with God, to live in right relationship with people. And that was not possible before you placed your faith in Jesus Christ because you were in bondage to sin and death. We have the ability to experience God's grace and experience greater freedom from the power of sin. We are not sinless, but we will sin less as we walk with Jesus, as we become more like him in this process of transformation. Because we have a choice to sin or not to sin. When we choose to sin, then we are allowing the dominion or the power of sin to have mastery over us. That's our choice. That's why we're responsible to take up the helmet of salvation, to recognize that God is at work in us and through us as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in, in obedience to God's word. When we choose to live righteously, then we are using the members of our body to please God and to honor him. And we are free to do that because of the sanctification that we possess in Jesus Christ. Paul would write this in Romans 6. He, he, he spends a lot of time in Romans 6 discussing that issue of the dominion of sin. And he says this in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The beauty of this, when we recognize the work of God in our life, is that we are to, able to live free from the power of sin. We are able to live righteously and to experience God's power in our life. Taking the helm of salvation is necessary in the midst of spiritual warfare. And when we are mindful of our salvation, we are aware of our safety net in the realm of spiritual warfare, and we are confident to serve Jesus. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice at the work of Jesus in our lives, that we possess eternal life, and we rejoice that God is at work in us to make us more like him. We believe that he who began a good work in us will carry it through to completion. The Golden Gate Bridge was the second major construction work that required hard hats, 
Hoover Dam was the first one. If you didn't wear a hard hat on the building of Hoover Dam or on the building of the Golden Gate Bridge, you were fired from your job. For one thing, it was to protect you from the thousands of white-hot rivets that were constantly falling. There were over 600,000 rivets in each tower, not to mention along the span. Hard hats became a thing after World War I because of all the shrapnel and the bloody heads and the deaths that were caused by exposed heads. And so people began to come up with hard hats. In the States, they were first made for miners and then made for construction. And these guys wore them on the Golden Gate Bridge. Paul is telling us, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, that as we go through our daily lives, as we face the schemes of Satan, that we are to put on our helmet, our hard hat, our hard hat of salvation, that we are to have full assurance in what God is doing and has done and the protection that it gives us against the schemes of the devil. Not only do we possess eternal life and we're in the process of becoming like Jesus, but we have great confidence that one day we will be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. And the third aspect of salvation, again, in theological terms, is called glorification. So we've seen justification, the past, assurance that the penalty of sin has been paid. We've seen sanctification, the present, the assurance that we are being saved from the power of sin, which was broken at the cross. And then the future, we have assurance that we will be saved from the presence of sin. When we take the helmet of salvation, we are saying that salvation is our promise, that we look forward to that day when we will have glorified bodies and we will be whole and complete. That's what awaits the child of God in the consummation of his or her salvation. In this final tense of salvation, we receive a new body, which is immortal and glorified. And when we take the helmet of salvation, we acknowledge that though things and people, including us, are broken in this world, there's a time coming when everything will be made whole. Everything will be complete. Everything will be as it should be. And that's when Christ returns. Paul longed for that day. He mentioned in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he wrote this, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Isn't that exciting to think about leaving a fallen world behind? To leave behind all the, all the aches and the sorrow and the suffering to look forward to that day when we will be complete. And we know it's true because we will be like Jesus. We will be incapable of sinning. Think about that for a moment. We won't be assaulted by sin. We won't be drugged down by sin. That is so exciting to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we know it's true because we shall be like him. This is what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3. He said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, speaking of Jesus, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Our freedom from sin has great implication for us. We will not be able to sin. We will not live in a sin-saturated environment. And the prospect of a glorified body, the prospect of living free apart from sin gives us great assurance of a life that we have never known to this point. We'll be free from sin and sorrows, suffering, pain, and tears, and we look forward to that point when everything will be whole and complete. Isn't that the yearning that we feel now? when we get so frustrated with our culture and our world, it's because we long 
for a different one. We long for things to be complete. And that is one reason why so many of you have such great ministries within your own families. Because you want to bring a taste of heaven. You want to live by the values of the kingdom. And you want everyone in your family to experience the love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness of Christ. And that is why some of you are so great in your sphere of influence. Because you possess eternal life and you see God at work in you and you want to give people a taste of heaven. And you yearn for that. That's why so many of you are great in, in looking at politics and social issues of the day because you want to right wrongs. You want to see justice take place. We're not going to know any of that completely until Christ returns. But that's the longing. That's the yearning that we have. That's one of the reasons that Beyond Our Doors is so effective in having such a positive impact in our community, our, our, our work with local missions because we yearn to see people know Jesus, to experience his grace, to have a taste of heaven. We long for those days. We long for that day when Christ returns and we experience his life. The helmet of salvation instills an irresistible hope. It protects our minds from the attacks of Satan, from the evil one. Speaking to the followers of, of Jesus, Paul wrote this to the letter in his letter to Thessalonica, his first one. He said, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. Let us think well, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation gives us irresistible hope. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to that final salvation when we shall have a glorified body, when we shall leave this fallen world behind. The safety net of the Golden Great Bridge was a visual assurance of security for the workers. It increased their confidence. And as a result, the work went up. It was finished a year earlier than projected and $1.3 million under budget because these guys were working hard. They had great confidence because they had an assurance. They didn't have to worry about their death. There were 19 men that fell into the net and were saved from death because that safety net was there. When Paul says in God's word, take the helmet of salvation, he is saying, have great confidence as you live life in this world because the penalty is paid and you possess eternal life and no one and nothing can take that away. You don't need to worry about that. That's settled. And God holds it securely for you. And he's saying that as you live life following Jesus, that you are free from the power of sin. And that inspires you and motivates you to walk with Jesus, to respond to him in obedience, to see him at work, to experience greater freedom from the power of sin in your life. When we take the helmet of salvation, we realize and recognize that we have an irresistible hope, a confident expectation that Christ will return and that our bodies will be just like his. That's one of the most incredible promises that we could have, especially in these earthly fallen bodies that we possess. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can live joyfully with an assurance of security through our salvation in Christ. We thank you that you give us great confidence because we possess a hope that is secure in you. And we ask for the grace to live in, in ways that impact this world. We ask for the grace to recognize what we possess in our salvation through you and to let that change our lives and to give us strength and confidence against the attacks of Satan.
in the spiritual warfare that we face every day. We give you thanks for such power in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
got one more song. And it's the other end of energy from what we just did. for being with us today. Have a great week.